Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the OrthoBullets podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of proximal tibia epiphyseal fractures found under the pediatric section at orthobullets.com. Let's begin with a quick summary. Proximal tibia epiphyseal fractures are rare injuries seen in adolescents that may be associated with a vascular injury. Diagnosis can be confirmed with plain radiographs of the knee. Treatment may be non-operative or operative depending on the Salter-Harris classification, stability, and displacement of fracture. Now let's get into the episode. In terms of the incidence, remember that this makes up less than 1% of pediatric fractures. Demographically, it is more commonly seen in children between 12 and 14 years old. In terms of the pathophysiology, the mechanism of injury typically involves high-energy trauma, a varus or valgus force, and hyperextension. Conditions that are associated include a fracture, which may occur as part of a type 3 tibial tubercle fracture. Other associated conditions include a vascular injury, and this is most common with hyperextension injuries and may be due to tethering of the popliteal artery, which occurs in 5% of cases. Another associated condition is perineal nerve injury, which occurs in 5% of cases. There is ligamentous injury, which is seen in up to 40% of Salter-Harris type 3 and type 4 injuries, and there is compartment syndrome, which occurs in 3-4% to of cases. Now let's review some anatomy. In terms of the physial considerations, remember that the general assumptions are that the leg continues to grow until 16 years in boys and 14 years in girls. In terms of the growth contribution, remember that the leg grows about 23 millimeters per year, with most of that coming from the knee, with about 15 millimeters per year. The proximal femur grows about 3 millimeters per year, the distal femur grows about 9 millimeters per year, the proximal tibia grows about 6 millimeters per year, and the distal tibia grows about 5 millimeters per year. Also remember that the closure of the proximal tibial epiphysis occurs in a predictable pattern. In the sagittal plane, it closes from posterior to anterior. In the coronal plane, it closes from medial to lateral. And in the axial plane, it closes from posteromedial to anterolateral. In terms of the ligaments, for the medial collateral ligament, remember that the superficial portion extends distal to the physis to insert on the medial metaphysis, and it acts as a medial buttress. The lateral collateral ligament inserts on the proximal pole of the fibula, and it acts as a lateral buttress along with the fibula. The patellar ligament inserts on the tibial tubercle, and it acts as a restraint to posterior displacement. In terms of the blood supply, this includes the popliteal artery. Remember that the distal portion lies close to the posterior aspect of the proximal tibia, and it is tethered to the proximal tibia by a firm connective tissue septa, and it is at risk of injury with displaced fractures. It then divides into anterior tibial and posterior tibial branches beneath the arch of the soleus. The lateral inferior genicular artery passes over the popliteus anterior to the lateral head of the gastroc and underneath the LCL. The medial inferior genicular artery passes along the proximal border of the popliteus anterior to the medial head of the gastroc to the anterior proximal tibia. Now let's discuss the Salter-Harris classification. A type 1 fracture involves a fracture through the physis. It occurs at a mean age of 12 years. It is usually displaced due to the buttress effect of the tibial tubercle and fibula. A type 2 fracture is a fracture through the physis and exiting through the metaphysis. It occurs with a mean age of 14 years. It is usually displaced, and the most common pattern is medial gapping with a lateral Thurston-Holland fragment and a proximal fibula fracture. A type 3 fracture is a fracture through the physis and exits through the epiphysis and it usually has an associated tibial tubercle fracture. A type 4 fracture is a fracture through the physis, metaphysis, and the epiphysis. Moving on to the presentation, symptoms will include an inability to bear weight. 
On exam, one may note pain and swelling, tenderness along the physis, and one may note a deformity or the patient may have a palpable step-off if it is displaced. In terms of the motion, one may see varus or valgus knee instability on exam. And with regards to the neurovascular exam, it is important to perform a thorough neurovascular exam since the physis is at the same level of the trifurcation of vessels and there is a risk of vascular compromise with displacement. In terms of imaging, recommended radiographs include an AP and a lateral. Optional views may include an oblique or a varus and valgus stress, but there is risk of injury to the physis. And specific findings may include displacement of the fracture fragments, which may be classified based on the Salter-Harris classification. A CT is indicated to assess for fracture displacement, and it is the best modality for a Salter-Harris type 3 or type 4 fracture. In terms of treatment, non-operative options involve immobilization in a long leg cast. This is indicated for non-displaced fractures and for stable Salter-Harris type 1 and type 2 fractures. The specific technique involves reducing with traction and gentle flexion, and casting in slight flexion for six weeks. In terms of outcomes, remember that redisplacement is common without fixation. Operative options include closed reduction and percutaneous pinning. This is indicated for unstable Salter-Harris type 1 and type 2 fractures, and for redisplacement following closed treatment. Another option is ORIF. This is indicated for irreducible fractures, which are usually due to a diaphyseal periosteal flap blocking the reduction, for displaced Salter-Harris type 3 and type 4 fractures, and for a vascular injury. Now let's discuss the specific techniques in more detail. For CRPP, the patient should be positioned supine on a radiolucent table. In terms of the instrumentation, one should use cross-smooth pins. They should be transphyseal if this is a Salter-Harris type 1 or type 2 with a small Thurston Holland fragment, or extraphyseal if it is a Salter-Harris type 3 or type 4 fracture. One can also use cannulated compression screws parallel to the physis. This is useful for Salter-Harris type 2 with a large Thurston Holland fragment. It can also be used for Salter-Harris type 3 or type 4 fractures. Postoperatively, one should place a univalved or bivalved long leg cast in slight flexion for 4-6 to six weeks. For ORIF, the patient should be supine on a radiolucent table. The approach involves a midline anterior longitudinal incision from the inferior pole of the patella to the tibial tubercle, but one may consider a medial approach if there is a vascular injury. In terms of the instrumentation, cross-smooth pins may be used, and they should be transphyseal if it is a Salter-Harris type 1 or type 2 with a small Thurston Holland fragment, or extraphyseal if it is a Salter-Harris type 3 or type 4 fracture. One can also use cannulated compression screws parallel to the physis. Once again, these are useful for Salter-Harris type 2 with a large Thurston Holland fragment, or they can also be used for Salter-Harris type 3 or type 4 fractures. And postoperatively, once again, one should place a univalved or bivalved long leg cast in slight flexion for four to six weeks. And lastly, complications related to proximal tibia epiphyseal fractures include a loss of reduction, growth disturbances, which may occur in 25% of cases, and this can lead to limb length discrepancy and or angular deformities, and it is more common in open fractures. Other complications include compartment syndrome and ligamentous instability. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to proximal tibia epiphyseal fractures, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. An 11-year-old girl is struck in the leg by a loaded sled while sledding and is seen in the emergency department. She is reporting severe knee pain. Radiographs are read as normal. Examination reveals that she is exquisitely tender over the proximal tibial physis. The neurovascular exam is normal. What is the next step in management? 
and the answer choices are Choice 1. Splinting, admission, and frequent neurovascular checks. Choice 2. Cylinder cast and discharge. Choice 3. Emergent knee arthroscopy. Choice 4. Four-compartment calf fasciotomy. Or choice 5. Non-weight-bearing, a knee immobilizer, and follow-up in one week. The best answer to this question is Choice 1. Splinting, admission, and frequent neurovascular checks. The anatomic lesion in this patient is not exactly defined, but she has most likely sustained an injury about the knee. A Salter-Harris type 1 proximal tibial physeal fracture is likely. The normal radiograph reading can be misleading because these injuries may displace and spontaneously reduce. The child is at risk of compartment syndrome, although she is currently not displaying signs of it. Thus, even though this injury may seem trivial by radiographic findings, it should be treated like a knee dislocation with the risk of late developing compartment syndrome. MRI or CT may be necessary to define the injury. She does not require emergent treatment, but merits close observation for possible compartment syndrome. Any of the possible injuries about the knee can be unstable and require internal fixation after reduction. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 9-year-old child sustains a proximal tibial physeal fracture with a hyperextension mechanism. What structure is most at risk for serious injury? And the answer choices are Choice 1. Tibial nerve Choice 2. Popliteal artery Choice 3. Common perineal nerve Choice 4. Posterior cruciate ligament or choice 5, popliteus muscle. The best answer to this question is choice 2, popliteal artery. The most serious injury associated with proximal tibial fracture is vascular trauma. The popliteal artery is tethered by its major branches near the posterior surface of the proximal tibial epiphysis. During tibial displacement, the popliteal artery is susceptible to injury. Injuries to the other structures are less common. That's all for this review about proximal tibia epiphyseal fractures. We hope that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session from OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on orthobullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the OrthoBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the OrthoBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you considered leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.